Well, as I mentioned, I was in Boston this week, and while I was in Boston, uh, I was leading a group of pastors from across South Carolina on a pastor vision trip uh, as they were connecting with church planters up in, in the Boston area. And when we were ready to leave to come back home, I took my first Uber ride, and it was a memorable experience. I don't know if you, in case you don't know what Uber is, let me explain it to you. It's basically a modern-day taxi. Uh, the way they do it nowadays, you take your phone, there's a little app, and if you need to go someplace, you put in where you are, and, and it, somebody driving their own car has that app as well, and if they're nearby, they'll say, yes, I can come pick you up, and so then they come pick you up and take you to wherever you need to go, and you pay them like you'd pay a, a taxi. In fact, we've got some folks in our church who are Uber drivers in Greenville. So I took my very first Uber ride, and I met a, name, or met a man named Michael. Michael is from Hong Kong. He lived in Boston. He has lived in Boston for 37 years. My pa- my, myself and three other pastors piled into the back of this uh, Toyota Camry. <laughs> well, actually, there was three in the back and one in the front. But there was four pastors piled into this Toyota Camry, and Michael from China was, was up there driving. And we began to try to establish or begin a gospel conversation with Michael. And as we did, uh, Michael mentioned that, that he drinks quite a bit. And we said, well, Michael, we hope you're not drinking today, brother. <laughs> and he said, oh, no, 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 I only drink, uh, only drink at home, only drink at, you know, after work. And uh, was, one of the pastors said, well, Michael, why do you drink? And, and Michael said, I drink because I have to deal with the pressures of life. That's the only way I know to deal with the pressures of life. He, he said, I know I need something, I just don't know what it is. I mean, like, whew, open door, you know. He says that with four preachers in the car. <laughs> and, and so, I'm, I'm, t- I'm promising you, everything I tell you is not a preacher's story, it's not an exaggeration. I mean, this literally happened the way I'm, I'm describing it to you. In the course of the conversation, Michael began to tell us that uh, he had a, a Christian friend who had invited him to his church. And then Michael said about his Christian friend, you know, I've noticed he's happier than I am, but I don't know why. And then he said, a little bit later in the conversation, he said, you know, I make more money than he does, and still he's happier than me, and I, I can't figure out why. I'm, again, I'm just talking wide open door here, you know. And, and so we're, we're driving and talking and continuing the gospel conversation. And, and Michael mentioned that this friend had invited him to church. We were encouraging him to go to church. And he was a little reluctant to go to church because Michael said he had no use for religion. Uh, that everybody has their own religion and he had no use for religion. And I was sitting in the back seat right in the middle, kind of like this, and and I was talking to Michael through the, the rearview mirror. You know, he was looking back at me as he was driving. And I said, Michael, let me tell you something. Uh, I said, you know what? I want to agree with you that you will not find what you're looking for in religion. And his eyes kind of got a little big, and he looked at me, kind of staring at me as he was driving. It, it, it's kind of scary when somebody's driving doing this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so... I said, Michael, you'll not find what you're looking for in a religion. And then I said to him, Michael, did you know that the Bible says that you can have a relationship with God through Jesus? And here's what Michael said, my hand in the air. This is exactly what he said. Michael said, you can have a relationship with God? I've never heard that before. 
living in Boston 37 years. I've never heard that before. We continued the gospel conversation, continued to try to talk to Michael as he was driving us to the airport, and then for the second time, Michael just kind of interrupted as if he's trying to process this new information, and he said with fascination, you can have a relationship with God? I've, I've never heard that before. Never, he said. We continued the gospel conversation, and he continued to drive. And about the time we were getting to the airport, Michael said for the third time, and, and it wasn't just what he said, it was how he said it, with, with absolute fascination and, and, and excitement, Michael said, you can have a relationship with God? I've never heard that before. But this time he wasn't really talking to us. This time he's just looking out the window. It's as if he's having this conversation and trying to process this good news that he's heard. And, and so he just says out loud, you can have a relationship with God. I've, I've never heard that before. And then he blurted out these words. If that's true, that would change your life. I promise you he said that. We said, Michael, you're exactly right. It does change your life. Then it was about that time that he pulled over to let us out. So we only had a, a quick moment just to pray with him and give him a track and say, Michael, you need to read this because the answers you're looking for are found in Jesus. And this track will help you understand that. So pray for Michael. He may have already received Christ by now. I don't know. But I know that we nudged him a little closer to the Lord. We nudged him a little closer to God. But I'll never forget what Michael said. In fact, I thought about it a lot on the plane ride home. And I realized, as I was thinking about Michael, I realized that people who are lost not only need the message of the gospel, they also need a messenger to bring it to them. And that's why we have the Armstrong Easter offering. And that's why we support our missionaries. That's why we plant churches. And that's why we go on international trips. Because people don't just need the gospel. They need a messenger to bring it to them. I don't think I'll ever forget those words. As that little Chinese man looked in the mirror and he said, you can have a relationship with God? I've never heard that before. I want to make sure that today there are no Michaels in our audience. I want to make sure today that you hear me clearly this morning. I want you to know today, you can have a relationship with God. And it's through Jesus Christ. But it's important that you understand how that could be possible. How is it possible that you could have a relationship with God? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament. Not the New Testament, but the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. And go to chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I want to read this chapter to you today slowly and thoughtfully and prayerfully as it describes what took place so that you could have a relationship with God. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Why don't you stand and honor God's Word? Would you do that? Let's stand together. You read or follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, 
and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now look very carefully at verses 4 through 6. Surely he took, upon, he took up our, our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people who are stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you. Would you be seated? The verses that we've just read are quoted more frequently in the New Testament than any other Old Testament uh, passage. It's often referred to as the Gospel of the Old Testament. Even though it was written about 700 years before Christ, 700 years before the cross, this is a vivid and remarkable description of what Jesus did on the cross. Isaiah 53 is an amazing portrayal of the, of the pain and the punishment that Jesus endured for our sins to make a relationship with God possible. If I could summarize Isaiah 53, these 12 verses, in one sentence, it would be this. God punished Jesus for our sins. I want that to sink in. Not just into your mind, but into your heart and into your soul. I want you to know how you can have a relationship with, with God. I want you to know why you can have a relationship with God. And here's the answer. God punished Jesus for your sins. Isaiah 53 depicts that vividly. Isaiah 53 shows us in verse after verse what God did to Jesus 
for you. You see, Isaiah was prophesying. He was looking down the corridors of time, 700 years into the future, when Christ would die on the cross. And Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, recognized that what really would be happening that day at Calvary is this. God would be punishing Jesus for your sin. You need to understand what makes a Christian a Christian. You see, the thing that makes a Christian a Christian is not our perfection. It's not our goodness. The thing that makes a Christian a Christian is not our religious heritage or our baptism or our church membership. The thing that makes a Christian a Christian is this. God punished Jesus for your sins. When I say the word substitute, what comes to your mind? If, if I were to give you the chance to answer that, for a lot of you, if, uh, if you were thinking of that word outside the context of religious context, if I said the word substitute, you would probably say teacher. And that would be a good answer. And we understand what a substitute teacher is. A substitute teacher stands in for the teacher. A substitute, according to Webster's, is a person or a thing that takes the place of someone else or something else. For example, we just came through March Madness, and if you watched that at all, you saw coaches who would substitute one player for another. They'd take this player out and put another player in. One person substituting for another person. Or today, if you're cooking, some of you will look at a recipe, and you may substitute one ingredient for another ingredient, substituting margin for butter, for example. It's interesting that when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist looked at Jesus coming towards him, and he declared this in John 1.29. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why did he call Jesus the Lamb of God? John was indicating that Jesus was coming to be our substitute. And the phrase takes away can be translated, when he said he takes away the sin of the world, it can be translated to take up. In other words, John was saying, here is the one who will take up the sin of everyone. Here is the one who will carry the sin of everyone. Here is the one who will experience the punishment of sin for everyone. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, I understand what you're talking about because there are some people who really need this, but I'm not one of them. Because I'm a pretty good person, and, and, and I believe that living a good life and all that, I think that might get me there. And so I understand what you're talking about, preacher, but I'm just not one of those who really need what you're talking about because I'm not that bad. Well, I want to show you a picture of one today to help you understand how bad you really are, how bad we all really are. Let me show you a picture here for a moment. You know who that is? That's my grandbaby. You knew I'd work it in eventually, right? I just recognized in the first service, I should have made those pictures a whole lot bigger, though. I'm sorry. But little Lily will be here, Lord willing, next Sunday, so you'll get to see her for yourself. Uh, but I remember, I think it was the day after Lily was born, Lisa and I were just ooing and gooing and all that kind of thing, looking over our little... I don't know if you can tell it from this picture from where you are because the pictures are small, but, but I want you to know, this is the prettiest baby ever born. I mean, absolutely, the prettiest, most beautiful, precious little girl ever, ever born. And we, we just look at her. By the way, do you know what the name Lily means? I looked it up later. Do you know what Lily means? It means pure. 
What a perfect name for my perfect little granddaughter. As we were looking at this perfect little child, this innocent little child, this beautiful little child, Lisa, I think it was on day one, uh, Lisa looked at that little girl and she looked at me and she said, you mean to tell me she's a sinner? And I reluctantly said yes. I was reluctant because when I look at her, I don't see that at all. What I should have said though, you just asked me that in about two years. It'd be pretty evident then, right? Doesn't take long to recognize, yep, she's a sinner. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that we have all sinned, and the Bible teaches not only that we have sinned, but we're actually born as a sinner. Now, I know that's kind of mind-boggling because when I look at Lily, I don't see a sinner. In my eyes, she's pure. In my eyes, she is perfect. In my eyes, she is innocent. In my eyes, she is just sinless. But in God's eyes, she's not. In God's eyes, she's not pure. In God's eyes, she's not innocent. Now, I want to show you this in Scripture because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to look in Scripture with me. I want you to go, first of all, we're going to look at quite a few Scriptures. I want you to look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Over to the left, Psalm 51. David says this in Psalm 51. He says, Surely I was sinful at birth. And not just sinful at birth, look what he says. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David said, listen, when I look back over my life, the reason that I'm sinning now. And by the way, this, this whole psalm was about a, a time when David, as a grown man, committed adultery and he had sinned against God. And, and David, as he was looking back on that experience, he said, you know what, I'm not just a sinner right now. It's not just that I committed adultery and, and I sinned against God now. David said, when I look back, even from the day I was born, I was a sinner. And then he looked back even beyond that. He said, really, from the day I was conceived in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. I was conceived in sin. You see, here's what you need to understand about sin. The Bible teaches we're all born with a sin nature, and it's not evident at first. At first, they look so pure. At first, they look so innocent. At first, they look so not guilty. But you just give it enough time. And then you're going to recognize that they are indeed a sinner. You will recognize that there are indeed a sin, there is indeed a sin nature planted within each person. I mean, given enough time, her parents are going to have to teach her how to be good, not to be bad. They don't have to teach her to be bad. She'll figure that out on her own. They don't have to teach her not to lie. She'll figure out how to do that on her own. They don't have to teach her how, you know, how to steal. She'll figure that out on her own eventually. Hopefully she won't, but she, she will. You see, we're all born with this sin nature, and it's not evident at first. But the longer that we live, the more it becomes evident. Let me show you another scripture. Go to Psalm 58, verse 3. Psalm 58, verse 3. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. Even from birth, 
the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward and speak lies. You see, parents have to teach their children how to do right because all of our children are born with a sin nature, and so were you. That's why Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one righteous. I love the fact that he, he adds to that as if somebody were to say, Yeah, but what about Lily? There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even Lily. There is no one righteous, not even you. We're all born with this sin nature. However, there is one who was born without sin. He was without sin at birth, and he never committed sin in his lifetime. And I will show you that in Scripture as well. You can take Lily down for now. Let me show you this in Scripture. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I want to show you, first of all, that this one named Jesus who was born was not born with the sin nature that you and I have. He was not a sinner at birth like you and I were. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 says this, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, what's that next phrase? The what? The Holy One. To be born will be called the Son of God. Uh, the angel said to Mary, this baby that's going to be born in your womb, this, this born from your womb, this baby is going to be different from all other babies ever born because this baby will not have that sin nature. This baby will not have a sin nature passed from its parents down to it. This baby will be the Holy One because this baby will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is without sin. This one in your womb is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. He too will be without sin. He will be sinless. Now then the question is, but... Did he ever sin as he grew up? You know, given enough time, sin becomes evident for all of us, right? So, as he grew up, did he ever sin? Well, let's look and see what the Scripture says. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses... But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The writer of Hebrews says, as he grew up, here's how he was different from you. Though he was tempted just like you were tempted, though he had the same opportunities that you had to give in to temptation, he never did, not once, not once. This one who was born without a sin nature did not give in to the temptation to sin. And that's why we need to read what Paul said about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go over to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. Here's what Paul said about Jesus. Here's what was happening at Calvary. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took the one who had no sin. God took the only innocent person who has ever lived. And on the cross, 
the only person who has ever lived, died the most undeserved death. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he, whom, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, here's what happened. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin committed by every person who ever lived. God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin committed by every person who ever lived. Now, now that's staggering to think about. He was guilty of none of them. But he was treated like he was guilty of all of them. God treated Jesus the way he should have treated you. And the way he should have treated me. Well, how was that? Well, go back to Isaiah 53 and you'll see how God treated Jesus. Isaiah 53. Just read verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Look for this word, our. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the, the iniquity of us all. Now that's hard for us to comprehend. It's easy to read, but it's hard to comprehend how God could lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Think of all the people who are alive today. And the Bible says God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of every person that is alive today. And think of all the people who have lived in history past. And God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of every person who has lived in history past. Think of all the people who were born and who lived and who died before this world will end. And, and the Bible says, and God will lay on, has laid on Jesus the iniquity of all those people who will be born and live before this world ever ends. It's a staggering thing to think about. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus can take away our sin because, ladies and gentlemen, He took it upon Himself. And He died on the cross for those sins. Now, look, in, look here in Isaiah 53. I want you to see in verse 7 a word. I want you to underline it. He was, I'll tell you when we get there. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. You might want to underline that. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. J. Oswald Sanders said, Jesus drank a cup of wrath without mercy, that we might drink a cup of mercy without wrath. Everybody look up here on Jesus. It was our sins that ripped his flesh open. It was our sins that nailed him to that cross. It was our sins that separated him from God. It was our sins he was dying for. He took the punishment we deserved. Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice that was slaughtered 
for our sins. You know what was happening at Calvary? God was punishing Jesus for our sins. Tonight we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper and I want to invite you to come back. But it's a wonderful time for us to be reminded that your salvation is not cheap, nor is it free. In order to pay the penalty for my sin, Jesus was slaughtered on the cross. He experienced the pain and the punishment that I deserved and that you deserved. God was punishing Jesus for our sins. You see, here's the reason you can have a relationship with God. We are acceptable to God not because we have obeyed Him better than others. We are acceptable to God not because we have given up bad things or we go to church or we got baptized. We're acceptable to God when we accept Jesus as our substitute on the cross. We're acceptable to God when we say, God, I I really believe that Christ died in my place. Though I did not deserve it. He died for my sin. He took the punishment I deserved. And by faith, I now ask you to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life and to be my Savior. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, on the cross, Jesus was treated as if He had lived your life so that you could be treated as if you lived His. Know what you call that? Grace. Grace. You see, I'm so bad, Jesus had to die for me. That's how bad my sin is. That's how bad your sin is. If the cross teaches us anything, It teaches us the depth of our sin. I am so bad. Jesus had to die for me. That was my only hope of having a relationship with God. But listen to this. The cross not only teaches us the depth of our sin, it also teaches us the depth of God's love. You see, I'm so bad, He had to die for me. But listen to this. I am so loved, He died for me. Isn't that amazing? The one who had no sin, the one who knew no sin, the one who had never experienced sin, the only one who was truly perfect, the only one who was truly sinless said, I, I'll take your punishment so that you can have a relationship with God. See, no matter who you are, no matter how you have fallen, no matter how far away from God you've been, I want you to know this. You are loved. And God wants you in His forever family. He wants you in His forever family so desperately that He punished His own Son for your sin. But now listen to this last thing. All of that was useless if you walk away from it. None of that will matter if you walk away from it. You will split hell wide open 
if you walk away from it. And here's what you need to understand. Jesus experienced the wrath of God on the cross for your sin. And if you walk away from it, you will experience the wrath of God when you die. I would much rather you experience the love of God. The love of God displayed in the cross is what you really need today. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. No matter who you are, no matter how you have fallen, or what Satan tries to tell you, you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it is only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have a relationship with God. No other way to know God. No other way to go to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Because He's the only one who experienced the pain and the punishment of your sin. And today, if you by faith say, Lord, I believe it. I accept it. I claim it. I receive today the free gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. I hope that today you'll say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for my sin. I surrender my life to you and I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new person. And because you died for me, I will live for you. Would you pray that prayer right where you are? And would you come down to the front and let me know that you've prayed that prayer or come down here and let me pray with you? Today is the day for you to receive Christ. Today is the day when you recognize what Christ has done for you. Today is the day to respond to it rather than walking away from it. I hope and pray you will. Father, in the name of Jesus, may we cross over from death to life. May we cross over from our goodness to your grace. In Christ's name I pray.